As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of What's the Crack? Today, I'm joined with Dr. Tom Freeman. Tom, can you tell me and the listeners who you are and what you do? Hi, my name is Tom Freeman, and I'm a senior academic fellow at the National Addiction Centre in King's, King's College London. And I'm actually out at the EMCDDA at the moment, which is the European Monitoring Centre for Drugs and Drug Addiction. I'm here on a one-month work placement working on cannabis potency. Awesome. Thank you. And so, yes, as Tom's just mentioned, we are going to be talking about cannabis potency. So cannabis potency is generally an area that makes cannabis research just that little bit more complicated, as all cannabis is not made equal. So cannabis contains many cannabinoids, but the most well-known cannabinoids are THC and CBD. Now, THC, which is tetrahydrocannabinol, is the one that creates the psychoactive effects in the brain. And CBD, cannabidiol, is seen as the yang to THC's yin. It doesn't produce a psychoactive effect, and it is more the relaxing, anti-inflammatory, and zeolytic effect. So the potency is generally represented by the percentage of THC in the weight of cannabis product. Is that a fair description, Tom? That's excellent. Thank you. Cool. All right. So with that little background, we're going to be talking about cannabis potency in Europe, the states, and applying it uh, to the future in Canada, who's going to be legal, uh, who's going to be legalizing the non-medical use of cannabis this summer. So, Tom, I want to ask you to start off quite broadly, but could you start off by describing some cannabis products and their typical potencies? Okay. So in Europe, what we have often is traditional cannabis resin, and cannabis resin is made in a variety of different ways, um, often from Morocco in, in Europe, and it's made by rubbing together plants, sieving the material. It contains a combination of different plants. So, so cannabis plants produce both THC and CBD, as you said, and this is genetically determined. And so you have THC-dominant plants, CBD-dominant plants, and mixed strains. And when resin is produced in a natural environment from landrace strains, so old crops essentially, you get a balance of THC and CBD. 
CBC. So it's had levels of THC of about 5% in the UK and equal for CBD, about 5% too. Um, this is a very traditional old type of cannabis. Um, also, you can have herbal cannabis products, and these are simply parts of the flower which are harvested and dried. Um, and the more potent varieties do not have seeds, and these can vary in potency from around 2% up to 20 or 30 in extreme cases, but typically you would not see this higher than 15% in Europe. And these are the main kinds of products we've been seeing in Europe in the last 20 years. Okay, great, thank you. And um, would you say, like, I guess closer to home in the UK, has there been a marked change in potency from, say, the 1970s? So in the UK, there have been some changes, both in potency of the same varieties of cannabis, but also in the market share. Mm. So back in 2005, there was an increase in the level of THC in herbal cannabis. This became known as Sensimedia or skunk um, by some tabloids and other researchers. Um, this had higher levels of THC within herbal cannabis, driven by changes in genetics and growing conditions. But what's been most marked in the UK is the increased market share of this form of cannabis. So a recent study published earlier this year found that 94% of all samples were of the high potency indoor grown variety, Sensimedia. And so nowadays in the UK, it's very, very difficult to get anything apart from this type of cannabis. So the market is dominated by a single product with a high potency. Um, and it's very difficult to, to find cannabis with lower THC or any CBD. Okay, so you've mentioned that you are in Lisbon right now, sunny Lisbon, at the European Monitoring Centre for Drugs and Drug Addiction. What's, what are you there for? What are you working on? Okay, so the EMCDDA received data from the 28 EU member states, so the European countries, uh, Norway and Turkey. And they, they asked these countries for data on various drugs and supply and demand indicators. Um, some of their data looks at cannabis potency and they look at both herbal and resin preparations. So the reason I'm here is part of my fellowship, I'm looking at changes in cannabis potency. And so I was given the opportunity to write up data from the EMCDDA. Mm. And during this project, I've, I've looked at cannabis potency across European countries, which gives a very nice picture of the European context. And I think when we speak later about the US and Canada, it's good to see things from the European context. And there's been some really interesting changes. So, so resin in Europe increased from a mean of 8% in 2006 to 18% in 2016. And so this is very different from the kind of resin we typically saw in the UK. Um, and it's been very marked. So it's doubled in potency from 2011 to 2016. And what we think has happened is that Moroccan cannabis producers have switched from their traditional land dry strains. So when I said earlier that Cannabis is typically made from a combination of THC dominant, CBD dominant, and the mixed THC CBD plants. What seems to have happened is that now in Morocco, they're using the high THC forms of cannabis, what you might call sensimedia or even skunk, and they're using this to make resin. As a result, the resin is often exceeding 20% uh, and it's pushing up the European average. Uh, and this has been seen before in France, but now it seems to penetrate the market more generally and it's seen across Central Europe and Scandinavia. Okay, thank you. So, you know, um, you know, when you're talking about resin, in my head, that's hash. Is that correct? 
Yes, that's correct. Right. Okay. And so, again, from what I thought, is that hash contains, typically compared to uh, the flower and the bud, contains more uh, CBD. So when you're saying that THC is increasing in the resins now, is anything changing to the CBD content? Do we know that? Well, on the basis of data from France, where we have a really good estimate, CBD has remained constant in resin at about 4%. As a result, the, the ratio of CBD to THC has changed from about one to one previously, so equal CBD to THC. Now it's um, THC levels are about five times higher, so it's a THC to CBD ratio of about five to one. Um, so it looks like what's happening is that some CBD is being incorporated into resin production, so some of the old plants are still being used, but they're being um, boosted in a way by new higher potency cannabis plants and, and this is pushing up the potency overall. Okay, great. And is um do we know again, this is a question that might not be known, but do we know why apart from using the Sensimilia plants and using that for resin, do we know what the push is in order to create these higher potency plants, or is it just that that's happening because that's what the plants are now? Well, I think it's difficult to say for sure, but if you speak to people in the EMCDDA, they would say that the potency of drugs in Europe is generally going up. And often what you see is that people need to make money on illicit markets. And I think the Moroccans traditionally had quite an easy position where they've been able to export hash of varying quality. Um, Nowadays, increases in herbal cannabis and domestic growing have made it difficult for them to actually sell a product. So I think they've had to up their game in order to make money. So I read a paper that was looking at the European um, data and the results showed that it was the Netherlands that showed a market increase in potency over the years. Is that what you're seeing as well or is this different? So the Netherlands is one of the, the 30 countries included in these analyses. But I have looked at the, the Dutch data specifically in a previous study myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and these data are actually quite quite unique in that there was an increase from about 8% THC, this was in herbal cannabis, 8% THC to 21% between 2000 and 2004. Mm-hmm. So a really quick and marked increase. But then a slower decrease to around 15% in 2015. Mm-hmm. So if you look at the Dutch data, they're generally different to the rest of Europe. And typically, the potencies are higher compared to the rest of Europe. What we did see was in 2000 and 2004, that was when the big increase occurred. And since then, it's either stabilized or decreased. Okay, great. Thank you. I find it interesting when there's these massive differences in almost generations, so that you'll find that when people experiment in their youth and they're thinking back to those days, for example, if a... 60-year-old man or woman was thinking back to their days of using cannabis in their teens, I can imagine that now their memories are of a completely different product. Well, more potent, I guess. Well, I think if you look over time, cannabis has changed um, consistently, and this has been shown in a meta-analysis of data from 1970 up to 2009, so an increase year on year. But what we've seen more recently, which we'll get onto, I think, with the American data in, the, in Canada, is that uh, products are really diversifying, and it's not necessarily just a case of 
potency. It's, there are many different forms now and it's becoming a very complex field that's rapidly evolving. Maybe, you know, uh, in the future, in, in 20 years' time, then people will look back and they'll, they'll be very surprised at how, how much it's changed. Mm, absolutely. So I saw that it, uh, in back in 2015, you wrote a letter for a diction journal about the need for global monitoring on cannabis potency. Could you speak a bit more about why why that is needed? Absolutely. So because, I mean, cannabis is such a widely used drug, so it's used by around 183 million people in the world each year. It's really, really common. But because it's an illicit drug in most of the world, we really have very little information about what cannabis is, uh, what kind of form it takes, THC and CBD. Um, the illicit market is is hidden from us. Um, and as people are consuming this product, it's really, really important for, for health-related reasons to try and give people information they can use for, just to, in order to use sensibly, um, safely, if they want to. And in terms of, as we as we discussed, cannabis has changed markedly in recent years, and there are many new forms emerging. And Information is very limited, um, so there are very few studies that actually systematically monitor changes in cannabis. And some of those examples are the Netherlands and the United States. And so in this letter, together with Wendy Swift from the University of New South Wales in Australia, we were arguing that actually it should be a duty of countries to provide up-to-date information on cannabis in terms of potency and other information. Um, and in Australia especially, it was very difficult for them to do any research at all. They only were able to do a single study after 10 years. Um, they weren't able to get longitudinal data, and it's it's just very difficult to find this information. So what we want is more research on monitoring cannabis, um, such that users have information that's useful to them. Absolutely. So I think the more we talk about it, and the more we provide information, the better, because I mean, at the moment, it's, it's just very tricky. And, and then you have the um, recreational cannabis industry is providing this information kind of providing a very different angle and so I think you know it's important to, to do the research wherever possible and to communicate it. Um, okay should we move on to the US and their yes. potency because I think you mentioned that there's a lot more products and more so I guess to paint the picture the US have a few states now I think it's eight and the ninth uh, have just passed the bill so Vermont have joined nine states that have legalized non-medical cannabis now it still remains illegal at a federal level uh, but state-wise it is legal to purchase possess and consume uh, so yeah like you were touching on before there's a lot more uh, with a wide variety of products and these bring new issues of potency are these products that we don't see as frequently in Europe, such as, I guess, yeah, should we speak about what these products are? First of all, do you mind if I just, just say something about the, the long-term context in the US? Absolutely. So, so just to put things into perspective in terms of timelines, so there was a, a study published two years ago by Mahmoud El Salih, and he's really the US expert on cannabis potency and testing. And so this was a study from... 1994 to 2015 is a very, very long-term study, and he found an average increase from 4% to 12% THC in all cannabis samples seized. This was on the illicit market, and so what you can see here is over a very long time period, um, you can see potency increasing, ticking away, but actually not to a great extent. So, so the 
the mean potency in 2015 was 12%. And now what's happened in the states where cannabis is for sale for recreational purposes, um, you see, so in, in Washington state, for example, 21% of sales were for cannabis extracts. Um, and these are an average of 70% THC. So very, very different. So the market's changed very quickly. It's, it's evolved. Um, it's very innovative. Um, it's commercially driven and there's, there are so many products available and it's, it's very difficult to keep up with them. But, but just the change within two years of sale, um, in Washington state is, is far more than what we saw between 1994 and 2015. Yeah, great. Thank you. And, um, is that, is there more data from Colorado as well, as in is Washington State? I know Washington State and Colorado were the first two uh, states to legalize, so they have arguably more data on it. But is that a trend that we're seeing in other states that have legalized? Well, based on the information that I'm aware of, that is, but we have much better data from Washington due to the seed to sale database mm-hmm. um, based on published papers and, and what you can find out from the other states. I think varies from state to state, but the best information I found was on Washington State. And I think um, from what I've read as well, but correct me if I'm wrong, that the increase in edibles in Washington State and Colorado was a a surprise in how popular they were. I think it was like an you know an unanticipated uh, result of how popular these high THC edibles were such as gummy bears or lollipops etc uh, I, ca- I can't think of any more <laughs> any more examples brownies uh things in food but i i think that's what again we'll touch on canada in a second but i think that's what um really made canada think about how they were gonna work with the edibles market because of how popular these edibles and high thc containing foods were going down in the US. Yeah, and you can definitely see that edibles have been more popular in states where medical and recreational cannabis become available. And I think um, it's important to remember that edibles do have some benefits in that you don't inhale um, smoke or vapour, and so potentially it's, it's a harm reduction tool. Um, and also the slower offset of effects might be good for people with medical concerns. And so... So edibles um, have benefits as well as drawbacks. And so in a way, it's not surprising that these new products have become so popular. Yeah, absolutely. One thing to be careful of is, uh, is in the packaging of the children. Mm. That's another main thing that they're focusing on in Canada of just trying to... Well, they're, they're, it's almost standardised packaging in Canada in the fact that they don't want any advertising that is linked to children, you know, that can entice children, which is a contrast to the US with more, they well, they're allowed advertising in the US full stop, whereas I know that Canada are not. Yeah, that's my understanding. So I was very surprised when I saw some pictures of Pop-Tarts, which, um, my misspent youth, Pop-Tarts were like a very bad breakfast if you if you had poor nutrition with eating Pop-Tarts, but Turns out that they're actually pot, pot parts and they look exactly the same, um, but they've just got just infused with THC. And so if, if you were to see those on the shelf, um, you know, it would take you right back to your youth and you might, might just buy them. Obviously, they're only going to be for sale in dispensaries, but they are designed to look exactly like, um, like sweet products on typical market shelves. Wow, I did not know they'd made it into pot tarts. 
do remember those from your childhood. Absolutely. We were very rarely allowed them because of that such high sugar content. And we weren't, I don't even think we were allowed them for breakfast because they just weren't a good start to your day. I think it was like more like a dessert. So what else have you um, uh, learned or looked at with US potency? As I said, the changes are occurring so much more quickly because I've been looking at data sets over the course of 15 year studies or 11 year studies. And it's quite interesting seeing the change over that period of time, but what we see in, in the US at the moment is that changes are occurring on a month-by-month month basis, and so I'd really like to get more involved, and as of yet, I haven't done this, but it's something I plan to do in the future. As, as well as, obviously, uh, keep the keep the data on THC and CBD, is there something else that you'd like to look at within the US? But, you know, if you were to go to the US and could collect any data and look at any data that you could see on potency, what would it be and why? Well, I might change the question slightly in that what I'd be really interested to see is whether a policy which addressed potency directly, so introducing a tax on THC or putting a limit on THC, whether this might influence behaviour and potentially reduce harm. Um, Because at the moment there isn't a tax or a limit on THC and so Potentially there could be, um, and this is something that's been raised in, in other countries, so that's something I'd be very interested in. And so what I'd like to do, if I could do research, I would randomise um, different states to, to have this limit, uh, potentially your tax, and see how that affects healthcare outcomes. Uh, that's a really good idea. I think um, taxing cannabis according to its THC content was one of the suggestions by the task force um, on cannabis legalization in Canada, that was one of the uh, recommendations to the government. I don't think that's being implemented as of now, um, but I do know that that was one of their recommendations in order to make. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. One hundred percent online you'll experience the all-new Cerebral Way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. 
yeah, that the way that it would work, correct me if I'm wrong, is that high THC content would be more expensive due to high taxing, which would hopefully push people to lower THC products. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. And it could be seen in a similar way to minimum unit pricing for alcohol, which is something which, as you know, coming from London has been a big, a big issue and has had strong support um, so far, despite not being implemented. Yeah. Okay, so let's think ahead to Canada. Um, so what we've been speaking about with Europe and US is basically that potency is increasing and we need to keep like tabs on it to see how it's moving and how it's going to work in a new environment where there are new products such as uh, shatter or edibles or high uh, THC resins. So what should we speak about with Canada? What, what, what are your thoughts on Canada? <laughs> well, I'm really excited to see what happens in Canada because I think if you look at the commercial US model, it's not been based on public health at all. It's just been based on making the most profit. Mm. Um, and as I said, advertising is free. Um, there's no restrictions on potency. And potentially it has the chance to, to raise the arms of cannabis in some ways. Um, although obviously there are benefits to legalization as well. I think with Canada, um, they're taking more of a health-centered perspective. And I'm really excited to see how they do because they'll be providing an example for the rest of the world and depending on how it turns out, um, this could be really useful information. Um, and I know that, so so what's the date at which it's scheduled to happen? So I know it's planned for so very soon. Mm-hmm. Do, do you know when it's due to occur? No, it was initially said um, July 2018. That was initially said to be the 1st of July, but that's Canada Day. So they didn't, they moved it from Canada Day because they didn't want it to be joined with that so they said generally july 2018 but now it's summer by the end of summer which in my knowledge of summer that only gives them another month so but yeah the 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 dialogue is that it's still summer 2018 so 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 yeah it will be really interesting to see all the differences especially because within canada itself there will be a lot of differences between provinces and territories so uh, some provinces, for example, have chosen to do have a government-run stores, such as how um, Ontario and others have a government-run store for alcohol. So you can only purchase liquor from the LCBO, which is the Ontario Government Board. So it'll be a similar thing to that, where it's just standalone government-run stores where you can go in and buy cannabis. Whereas in other provinces, there will be um, a mixed market with private companies and the government. Anyway, so there's di- there's different things that are happening within different provinces, which are interesting to look at, especially as well with the US. It will be interesting to look at how the different states deal with, you know, their different uh, legalized market. I think there's two two provinces in Canada that have chosen a age limit of 18, whereas all other provinces have raised their age to 19 to um, mirror the alcohol age. It will be interesting to see. I think it just shows really good response to legal changes because what's happened in the States really, um, it happened too quickly and, and erratically to really research changes. And so what's happening now in Canada really gives such an opportunity to, to measure these effects. And something similar is happening in the Netherlands now where they're trialling state supply to coffee shops and they're trialling it on specific municipalities. Um, and then they're going to reverse... Um, these changes back to how it was and then 
by measuring the effects of this essentially for legalization, and you can then provide a really good in, information base. Um, and so I think it goes back to what we were saying about cannabis monitoring in general, using research as a tool to guide policy, um, very valuable. And it's, it really seems like Canada is a great place to be as a, as a researcher nowadays. Yeah, it really is. And it does feel like they've, I feel that Canada, uh, the Canadian government are generally trying to do it for the good of the people and for public health. And they're really trying to get everyone's opinions and try and find the best route for them. And it'll be really interesting to see how that goes down, especially again, I'm thinking for other countries in Europe, such as like you just said, the Netherlands or the UK, fingers crossed, that can look to Canada and hopefully think of ideas for their own country. I have no idea what the UK will do. We'll have to wait and see. Is there anything else you would like to say on potency? I think we've spoken about the main issues. Um, I guess one thing we've not spoken about is cannabidiol. So we did, mm. we did, we did introduce it at the start, but um, I mean, one thing is that people do generally talk about THC as a main driver, and that's what the policy is focused on. And we did talk about stable levels in resin but actually it might be the case that cbd is much more important for potency as such in terms of harm reduction and so maybe boosting cbd levels in places like canada where legal sale is, is occurring could be a really good way to make cannabis safer and make it for those who want to use it they then have access to cannabis that doesn't cause memory impairment or psychotic like symptoms yeah absolutely because isn't um CBD is an antipsychotic which could, you know, counteract the high potency THC psychotic effects that can be found in cannabis. Yeah, no, you're up. Right, so so there have been two clinical trials using CBD um, to treat psychosis, and the first found that it had the same benefit on, on symptoms as amisulpride, which is which is a standard antipsychotic. That was a study in Germany, and then more recently a study at King's College London used a placebo control design um, and it used cannabidiol as an add-on and it again found a reduction in psychotic symptoms so there seems to be two trials that on its own CBD is helpful for psychosis um, but that wasn't involving THC that's just providing kind of a good background but then the experimental studies have shown that administering CBD at the same time as THC can reduce the psychotic blood effects um, just a transient effect so it's not a full-blown psychosis, but the kind of paranoia that people get, loss of contact with reality, and CBD essentially protects those users from those harms. And so, so some of the work that I'm doing at King's College London with Amir Englund um, and Philip McGuire and Robin Murray is looking to find the most effective ratio of CBD to THC. So we're testing multiple different ratios, and the aim is to find essentially what what the safest form of cannabis is, um, such as this can then be used as harm reduction. That's it, really interesting. Well, one of the things that we thought about when designing this research was that with potency based on THC, obviously THC makes people high and for many people that's very enjoyable. And so if you try and limit the THC too much, um, if you end up having a product that isn't fun, it's not going to go down too well. Um, potentially the illicit market is going to replace that and it's not going to be acceptable. Um, and so the evidence with CBD so far is that CBD doesn't dampen the high. So if you have CBD on board, you feel just as stoned, but you might have less memory impairment, less psychotic blood symptoms. And so adding CBD is quite potentially quite powerful in that respect because people still get the pleasures, but they get fewer harms. 
And so that's essentially what we're trying to achieve. Mm. Yeah, no, it is really important. And if you if you look at the research on cannabis, it's all about harmful effects. It's very difficult to find a study that's trying to show something good. Mm. We know that that's not necessarily um, a balanced picture of, of cannabis use for most people. Great, awesome. Well, thank you for this interview. I know, thanks very much. It's been a pleasure. So. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.